Well, hello, John Schuler. Hello, Brennan Gore. It's first time in a long time. We haven't it spoken is, on a podcast since before I went to Florida, and that feels like 20 years ago. Well, I've been on a, um, a Magic Man tour for a little while. Me and uh, Taylor Swift. <laughs> I got together with her. and <laughs> So, you know, she's easier to lock down than you are. Taylor Swift. I can get Taylor on the phone and Taylor, can you do a podcast? Yes, before I can get John Schuler to do a podcast. Every time I call you, oh, sorry, bro, I'm busy today. I can't do it. Well, you got to give me more than five minutes notice. No, I don't. Yeah. Says who? So busy. Yeah. So busy. <laughs> well, big news. Big news. Congrats, John Schuler. Congrats. You, if I, if I had your hair to give you a big kiss right on the lips, Number one yeah. mix in the world, Kodiak Pro, according to nine out of ten concrete artisans. Yeah, no, that's super cool, man. It's I'm amazing. excited about it. I'm psyched yeah. on it. Psyched on it. It's nice to see, you know, the the materials getting into people's hands, seeing the benefits, seeing it move. Uh, yeah, the the whole idea to a new generation. Yeah, it's, to me, it's tumbling at the same time. It is. It is. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> oh gosh! Ugh. Well, congrats, buddy. Thanks, man. We did it. Thanks. We yep. did it. We did it. What are we gonna do next? I don't know. <laughs> Let's uh, disrupt some other industry. Get in there and yeah. shake it up and improve the the entire product line. You know, I don't know. Maybe paint. Who knows? Who knows? Where it goes from here. Rammed Earth, I think, is actually the thing you and I have kind of been talking about is rammed earth sealers that, you know, yeah, yeah. we can really improve on that technology that what's currently out there. So I think that'll be the next thing. But I'm excited about Kodiak. I'm excited to keep it going, keep it growing. Hey, we were just talking about something before we hopped in this podcast, and that is for anybody, it doesn't matter if you're ordering from Kodiak or from some other company, don't wait until the last second to place your order. Don't do it. Yeah. And well, or yeah, till you're almost out of materials to place your order. Exactly. Yeah. Because what happened with us is Solomon, who blends all of our products. And if you listen to the podcast, at least a long time listener, you would know that because we talked about it. But Solomon is our, our blender. They had a power outage in Illinois and it affected them. And they were out of, you know, down from producing for a while. And then when power came back online, Almost they, a week. Yeah. They were playing catch up on their own stuff and then trying to play catch up on our stuff. Right. And so they're still playing catch up. They're still recovering from that outage. And so, you know, you can't predict nature. You can't predict power companies. You don't know when something like that's going to happen. So normally we do have product in stock. Normally we have a few pallets ready to ship at any given moment, but that wiped us out because orders came in and those went out. Now we're, now we're waiting to be refulfilled. You don't want to wait. You don't want to wait. And I was saying to you way back in the day, I mean, I'm guilty of this when I had employees and I'm working on my shop and, you know, I'd say to, to them, guys, you know, just give me a heads up, kind of let me know where we're at with inventory on poslins and this and fiber and whatever I was using back then. We'd be right in the middle of casting, you know, a 10 batch mix or five batches in and all of a sudden, Hey, both or all the glass fibers. Uh, What? Yeah, we just, that was the last bit right there. Yeah, they don't carry that at Ace, bro. They don't carry that at Home Depot. I told you, please give me a heads up. I got to order that. It's going to take a week to get here. 
oh yeah, well, we're out. Don't know what to say. And you're just like, oh, guys, come on. I mean, yeah, I get it. I get it. It happens. It yeah. happens, but you yeah. want to stay ahead of it. So watch your inventory. When you know, you know, you're two, three weeks out, four weeks out, get an order in because, you know, it's a transit time to get to you. And you just don't want to be yeah. behind the eight ball waiting on material. You want to always have right. material on hand. So a little tidbit. Yeah. Like what's happening right now. If you guys, you know, again, they, I'm blaming anybody. I get it. But. It just so happens we're in a situation where something did happen. It shut down all production, all production. I just told about that. Week. I just, I just explained it. I know, it. but now are you recapping my are. recap? No. It sounds like I'm it. just letting letting everybody know who listens to this one. Anybody <laughs> who did, you may be a week out from getting materials. Uh, are you saying no. it because a lot of people won't listen to what I say? So when you say it, they're actually going to listen. It. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, my wife said that to me the other day. Kind of insulted me a little bit. I made really? a post on Facebook. She's like, she's like, you should let John post that because some people may not may not read your post, but they'll read John's post. I'm like, really? That's really insulting. <laughs> well, you know, <sighs> oh, once you get into my crowd, you know, it just it just means something. Different. I guess it does. It resonates better and different with people. That's all. Hey, whatever it takes, man. Whatever it takes. <laughs> whatever it Just takes. as long as it resonates. Hey. That's all that matters. Exactly. So, concrete, John. Yeah. Concrete. What, what kind of concrete? About? Thin cast stuff or like uh, industrial? I'm, You know, for me personally, although I'm getting really into the ramcrete, I'm starting to find myself migrating back into my love of brutalism. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I really, I the really Germans. It. Yeah. It's so cool. I mean, I literally pulled us some photos the other day of a, I don't know, fallout shelter or something like that. And it's like, man, look at that thing. It's just, it's just, it's just beautiful. Someone converted it to a house or something like that. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm really digging that into the world right now, uh, pulling up old architecture and, and seeing that, you know, real heavy concrete based things. It's pretty cool. It is it's pretty, pretty cool. cool. It is cool. No, I do like it. Um, well, concrete, what I'm talking about, John is for the podcast, concrete discussion, mm. not, not concrete architecture, although that could be part of the discussion, but, um, concrete for the podcast. And there's a few topics that have, Come up, you know, we were on vacation. Both of us were on vacation at the same time. Yeah. And well, that's a mistake. We can't go on vacation <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> Dude, I'll never go on vacation work. again. I need a vacation for my vacation. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, it's been the gift that keeps giving. I got back from vacation, which was pure hell. I got back from vacation, and uh, I had a guy working here. And essentially, he no-call, no-showed. And I told my wife, I have a feeling this guy is out looking for another job. And she's like, oh, no, there's no way. You know, he's, he's been working there for six months. There's no way. I don't know. I got a feeling. I got a feeling. And then I got a feeling. <laughs> Did you sing that song? Again? No, but, you know, you just know. And I'm on, I'm on my computer, like, doing an email, and Facebook's open, and Messenger pops up, and it's somebody doing a reference check for this guy. Hey, I'm doing a reference check on so-and-so. He listed you as his previous employer. I'm like, well, that's, that's news to me, because as far as I was aware, he was still working here. Well, he says he can work. He can start as soon as tomorrow. I'm like, well, 
again, all news to me, but I guess that's your reference check. And so that was that. And the, the crazy thing was before I left for vacation, I gave the guy a $2,000 advance just so he wouldn't have to worry about money. <laughs> well, there you go. He's not worrying about money. He's spending my money. I guarantee that guy's at a horse race right now or at the casino. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He just won the lotto. No good deed, brother. No good deed goes unpunished. Tattoo it on your soul. It gets you every time. It happens with clients when you get a customer that comes in and, hey, you know, I know, I know your price is ten thousand. We only have five thousand for our budget. We uh, rescue pygmy goats and 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 you know nurse them back to health, and that's our life's passion. Is there any way you could work with us on this? And you're like, yeah, you know, I'll do it for five. Worst customer in the world. Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. You'll cast it three times. You'll install it. They'll nitpick it. They'll complain about everything. You didn't scratch. tell me it wouldn't allow pygmy goat. <laughs> pygmy goat milk will stain it. Well, <laughs> you know, I didn't test it. I didn't test it for that. But anyways, so those are the customers that will get you. But anyways, no good deed goes unpunished. I tell you this. It's a lesson I've learned, and I'll continue to learn until I finally learn it for good. No good deed goes unpunished. I'm not saying be mean. I'm just saying, don't cut anybody any slack. Just hold, hold true to, uh, to whatever your policies are and, you know, things will work out. Which is hard because all of us want to be, you know, bend a little bit to help people out. And there you go. But, and technically you did, right? No, I did. I, yeah, I, I have happened. no idea. Maybe he spent the weekend at <laughs> Benihana's or something. After I guarantee it. Dude, he went to Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> and bought a $2,000 pizza is what he did. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And then he was thinking like, now I got to go find another job. Yeah. Yeah. Was it, did he, maybe he thought it was severance pay. I don't know. Uh, apparently that's how he worked it out in his mind to feel justified. You know, it reminds me of that scene. I don't know if you ever watched Breaking Bad, one of, one of the best shows ever, but there was an episode where Walt gives Jesse money. I want to say like $2,000 to go buy an RV and, mm-hmm. uh, and then they go to like this whole like montage of scenes of like Jesse at the strip club, throwing money at the girls, you know, doing <laughs> drugs, just having a crazy wild night. And then like in the morning he wakes up and he has like no money left. And his buddy's like, I don't worry about it. You know, I have an RV you can have. And he like essentially steals it from a family member. But yeah, I, I kind of in my mind kind of think that was the montage after, after that, uh, advance, but Could be. anyways, so back to concrete, a question that has popped up a couple times, and I think, I think some of it was spurred by some, some dubious information that was, uh, that was conveyed to, to some people, is that you need polymer and concrete. And this is a message that you and I have hit numerous times through the podcast. Uh, you know what? Yeah, I'm interrupting you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I hear it. I get these questions. I get these questions about polymer legitimately with almost – Every new customer that comes our way, who's who's ready to make a switch from whatever, or they want to try it out, I would bid daily to no less than three times a week, I'm getting polymer-based questions from customers yeah. or potential customers. Yeah. I, I, I was the first person in the world to teach GFRC for concrete countertops. That's a fact. Okay. I used to live and breathe polymer. I believed in polymer. I believed in the magic and the science. You know, Hiram Ball, who was one of the first people that developed GFRC, I was in Tempe, Arizona. 
His, his business was in Tempe, Arizona. He used to come to my shop every week when he was in town. He would come over, and we would talk, and we'd go to lunch, and we'd talk about things. And I really believed in polymer. I, I do think that polymer sure. offers benefits to concrete, but not the type of concrete that we do. And what do I mean by that? Well, polymer, you know, the, the main industry for GFRC is going to be architectural cladding for buildings. And, right. you know, they're in factories in Dubai and other places where they have robotic equipment or at least a lot of manpower. And they're making these big panels and they're spraying the backer coat with the fibers and they're rolling, you know, getting all the air out. And it's just a big production line. And these things hang on a building 100 feet, 200 feet, 300 feet up in the air. Who cares if they got a billion pinners in them? You're not going to ever see it. You're never going to see it. And so you're like, oh, whatever. And they're not going to be curing these things properly. They're, they don't have the ability to cure these things properly. So, you know, the polymer does probably add some benefit versus if you're just going to open air cure them and you're not going to cure them properly, it's going to offer some benefit to that, to that situation. Now well, it's not that's, gonna, yeah, oh, that's on, where on. the rubber hits the road. Hold yeah. on. But it's not going to replace proper curing. So, no. and I, I was misled by that because I believed it did back in the day. But, you know, the whole thing of like, you know, when I talk to Hiram, he's like, well, it increases flexural strength and abrasion resistance and color fastness and free star resistance and blah, 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 blah. What, what he didn't say and probably didn't matter for him was what it does to the surface as far as the surface quality and the ability for the surface to be sealed and the sealer to have longevity. Because those things weren't important for cladding. Those things weren't important for the use that that material is developed for. It wasn't developed for concrete countertops and sinks. They couldn't care less about concrete countertops and sinks. That's such a small part of the market in the concrete industry. They're going for the big producers that are buying tanker trucks of this stuff. Right. And so, you know, I bought into the benefits and I used it for a long time. Now that we've moved away from using polymers and the people that have moved away from using polymers, which everybody using Kodiak is, is moved away from it, the increase in surface quality is undeniable. I mean, you can see it just from five feet away, two pieces, you can see them. We posted photos before in the past of, of pieces cast with other products at Polymer that a customer sent us versus the Kodiak Pro that they cast and the customer sent us yeah. the photo. And you can see it. Right. I mean, it's, you don't need a microscope. You can see it from five feet away. Right. So everybody's moved away has seen a tremendous increase in surface quality, density, uh, abrasion resistance, all these different things. But the other thing is, and this is something that you brought up to me was, isn't it funny that, you know, this industry existed before we all switched to GFRC. There was a time for the people who have been doing this for a long time that GFRC wasn't a thing yet, that right. people weren't doing GFRC. And sealer wasn't the big problem that it is today. Correct. And then we all made the switch. You know, I, I brought GFRC out. We did the article for Concrete Decor magazine. Whether people want to admit it or not, that's when like 99% of the industry made the switch to GFRC. And everybody switched to GFRC. And most everybody switched to using polymer per the article that I wrote because I was using mm -hmm. the Forton VF774. That was the moment when sealer started giving everybody problems. Yeah, that's when the sealer wars, the hamster wheel, the sealer of the month club. Yeah, it was, it was undeniable. Yeah, and I didn't make a correlation. You know, I'm just like, oh, the sealer sucks. This yeah, sealer this is horrible. Sucks. I must yeah. need the different one. Yeah. Exactly. So I didn't make the correlation, but you made the correlation Earlier today when we were talking, I'm like, dude, I totally, you're right. It wasn't the issue that it was before. And then it became a massive issue. Now, there was some, some hijinks going on in the sealer industry. That, you know, I used to use topicals. And I went through all the different topicals that existed back then. And really nothing's changed. The topicals that are out today are the same as topicals that were out back then. It's just a different name. The topicals. Or new VOC levels or, you know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Slight modifications. Yeah, they changed the, the solvent to a different solvent. Yeah. yeah. 
But the sealers that I used back then were EAP from Kenlock, uh, E32K from Richard James, Kim Richard James Chemicals, um, EcoTuff, which was a soy-based sealer. All I, I used a bunch of different ones. EAP, there were some definite hijinks going on. There was a company that was diluting the sealer with solvent and selling it to the concrete artisans in this industry, but selling them diluted sealer. You can't blame the, the polymer for that. That was yeah. a greedy middleman that was diluting sealer with solvent and selling it to you as, as full strength sealer and, and making a profit that way. And ultimately it put a lot of people out of business, but even the sealers that weren't going on with that, they didn't have the, the hijinks going on with a middleman were having issues, which you first see, they were still having issues, you know, E32K, which let me just say this, cause I, I thought about this last week and I thought I should tell people this. If you want to use a topical sealer, which we don't abdicate for topicals, I believe, you believe, I think a lot of people believe that topicals, although they, they do offer some benefits to concrete, the bad outweighs the good. The long-term yeah. issues with topicals aren't worth some of the benefits they offer. But if you do want to use a topical, E32K from Richard James Specialty Chemicals would be the one I'd recommend. I had the most success with that one. Not that it was... 100% successful because there was definitely pieces I had to, to fix with that. And it's a pain in the butt to fix. But of all the topicals that I did use, that was the one that had the least amount of problems for sure. Mm. So anyways, go on, John. Well, to add to all that, there's, there continues to be, and this is like the people who called me get into a long discussion. There continues to be, I'm going to call it misinformation, continues to be misinformation that I'm even going to say borderlines a little bit on, I'm going to say deceit, but maybe even fear. Okay. And that is that making thin concrete counter, or like we're doing the concrete, let's call them thin cast items, you know, three quarters of an inch, one inch, whatever the case may be when, you know, using whichever fiber. So let's just say glass fiber. So we're doing a GFRC that, the only way to do that and still have the potential to cast, cure overnight, and then demold the next day is you have to use an integral polymer. And they would often refer to as a curing polymer. You have to use it. And if you don't, the only alternative is days to weeks of curing. And so that makes me well, like, well, then, yeah, I, I clearly have to use a polymer because I'm not going to wait weeks. Would you say that it's impossible to cast yeah, it's, concrete? It would be, yeah, it's being pushed as impossible. Well, impossible. Look at the surprise on my face. We've done the impossible, John. Right. You've done the impossible. I've done the impossible. Yeah. Martin Haddock's done the impossible. Done Dusty the Baker's impossible. done the impossible. Right. We're all That's doing the impossible. Jeez, yeah. it's amazing how we can do the impossible. We make the impossible possible at Kodiak Pro. Well, it's, it's amazing. Honestly, I get disheartened and I shake nah, my head. I don't. When, and the reason I don't when, is because the people saying it's impossible, that it can't be done, aren't doing it. They don't do it. And when I say they aren't doing it, they aren't, they aren't making concrete for clients. They don't do this for a living. So why would I care? If I can go to Starbucks and the barista's like, hey, bro, you got to use polymer concrete. It's impossible to cast it without it. I'd be like, okay, thank you. Give me my drink. Adios, amigo. It means nothing to me. If somebody does not do this, then why do I yeah. care what they say? I legit do not care. Well, I know you don't, but, you know, just a couple of the guys who just called me just over the last, well, what's today? Tuesday. So it would have been Thursday last week and yesterday. 
I fielded for from a couple calls, and you could tell they were legitimately concerned. They had like heard about the materials through other people, which those people discussing it, thank you very much. In other words, they're not just listening to us, but one of their concerns is again the polymer, polymer, polymer. Yeah, I would just so say to anybody I, listening. Watch where you get your information from. If you're getting it yeah. from people that either bought a business from somebody, they didn't start a business, they bought a business, so they don't really have a whole lot of background in this industry. They don't have a whole not lot, a of, lot of experience. Yeah, yeah, not a whole lot of real world experience. I'm not going to really listen much to, to what they have to say. And then if there's somebody yeah. else that spent 20 years telling people how to do it but not doing it, I really don't care what they have to say either. So, And I'm not sure if that's where the information comes. I, I mean, maybe it is. I mean, so there's, it's still this general idea when they hit me is a concern and they'll ask me like, well, could I use such and such product or such and such product? And you know, that way I could still get the benefits out of what your materials, what people are saying are doing, but yet I could still do it. And and then my answer is always the same. Like, I'm not going to tell you not to, but I'm going to back, back up just a minute and talk about the realities, the true realities, not the fear mongers, not the deceit, not the, you know what? So number one, which we've said this before, why is there no polymers in these materials? I'd love to say it must be because John Schuler's doesn't know anything about polymers um, through BASF, Evonik, Munzing. You know, a lot of your big raw material manufacturers, Dow. Like, yeah, no, I know quite about about, and all my designs prior to included polymer. Like anybody else, a very healthy load. Dry polymer, 3 to 4% based on cement. There was no question about it. It had to be done. And so why don't these have it in? Because, number one, the reality is you really don't need it. So anybody pushing this fear factor that it's a necessity to, in a thin cast, thin meaning three-quarters, one inch, inch and a half, that the only viable alternative is you know, maybe comparison to slab work or footings, and they blame it on the thickness of the material, then no, that's complete hocus pocus. It comes down to not the, you know, the quote unquote mix itself, but how you cure it, which again is, is just a weird thing for me because in this conversation, they're like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, recommended to cure it. I mean, you know, cover it. Uh, with some kind of, you know, trap the moisture in some way and insulate it and maybe heat blankets and this and that. And I'm like, okay, well then, yes, that's exactly what we recommend. There's no question about it. But everything you discussed with me really negates the reason for your supposed curing polymer. Because the idea of the curing polymer when it came up was air cure. You know, create the film, you know, barrier doesn't allow the moisture to come out, blah, 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 blah. So if you use proper curing techniques, you're negating it. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah. So, and I'll stand behind this every day. It, it, go to whatever, go to Lowe's or Home Depot, pick up a whatever, 5,000 PSI sacrate. And, and I think I've told this story plenty of times when I did this at Smooth On and, you know, we cured them three different ways. And then you take that, one, you air cure, and one, you cure the way we discuss, and then you actually test those, you will find that you'll hit somewhere between five and seven day strengths in 24 hours. 
not by changing the mix design, not by adding some cure, you know, or accelerator or whatever the case may be. It's just that you cured properly. There's no super secret behind this. And so where I get disheartened is oftentimes this, you know, fear-like information of you have to cure for weeks or you better use a polymer. All I can think is it's coming from somebody trying to sell polymer. Yeah, this is what is somebody that okay. has a polymer for sale that's telling you okay. you have to use the yeah. magic polymer they have for sale. And that's yeah, and to me, and again, that's that's just complete utter nonsense. And what, what compounds nonsense is it's coming from people that don't actually do it. Yeah, it's nonsense. I mean, it, what, nonsense. what really should be focused on, and I focused on it, you focused on it for years and years and years now, is just good curing techniques. I mean. Yeah. Because, <clears throat> again, I could keep staying on this for a while. Number one, and then they hit me on uh, one of the guys like, well, you know, some, some testing was done by a certain individual. And he said, look, I made this without the polymer and I made some with polymer. And it was pretty obvious that the one with polymer had an increase in compression strength and an increase in flexural strength. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see that. And like, well, so that, that showed that he proved his point. And I'm like, no, it didn't. It didn't prove any point other than by taking the characteristic of the plastic that was put into the mix, gained what the mix, the concrete gained whatever percent characteristic of that plastic. But what, what did it isn't lose? being tested is what percent of total hydration took place of the concrete and was any of that hydration now being masked or overcome by the plastic that was put in. But the other part of that is, what did it do to the quality of the concrete, the surface right. quality? What did it do? If you're making cladding for a skyscraper, knock yourself out. You right. know, choke that mix of polymer. Just blah, 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 yeah, pour, pour it, it all sure. in there. Just dump it in there. Who cares? But if you're making a sink, a countertop, a table for a customer, where quality matters, surface quality matters, that well, is yeah, what When matters. you say surface, I just want to clarify you don't mean just i'm saying it's all surfaces because uh, i've seen some of these i'm going to say a table and if you looked under it it was an abomination i yeah. mean and the edges it was so full of air but the argument could be made that the surface like look how clean that is like no but that didn't change anything it, you created foam creep that's the issue so you can you can put a polymer in a concrete and you might see a small gain in certain areas, but there's a tremendous loss in other areas tremendous. that aren't as quantifiable yes. on a spreadsheet, but as a business, as somebody that does this for a living, it has a right. completely detrimental effect on your business. I fought yeah. for years with foamcrete, with pinners. It was one of the biggest reasons for losing profitability on a project. If you cast something and you have to slurry it, and water polish it and slurry yeah. or dry sand it. Slurry Don't even water polish it. Dry sand it. Uh, yeah. For Patch days. And I did that for years and years and years on every project I made. Slurry it. Next day, sand it. Slurry it. Next day, sand it. And I fought and I fought and I fought and I fought. And I just thought, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. You don't know any other way because you've been doing it that way for so long. And then John Schuler and I with Kodiak come up with, uh, John really, I mean, I'm just the guinea pig. John comes up with a mixed technology that doesn't require 
the polymer yeah. to get the strengths that we need, the density we need, the durability we need, the flowability we need. And you see it side by side. And so that's what I say to customers. I'm saying it to anybody listening. Trust but verify. Take the mix you currently use, whatever manufacturer that is, cast a 12 by 12, you know, one inch thick tile. And then get some Kodiak Pro Maker Mix if you don't have it. Call Joe Bates, SC Fabrication in California, joe at scfabnapa.com. He'll sell you one bag. Get a bag of Maker Mix and the required TBP, mix it up, cast it, and flip them over, and you be the judge. Don't trust us for it. You know, you look at it with your own eyes, and you will see a very discernible difference in the surface quality. And then do me a favor, weigh those two samples, put them on a gram scale, weigh the one that was the, the other manufacturer's product and then weigh our product. And I, I will almost bet with a thousand percent certainty ours is going to be heavier because it's a denser mix. Yeah, it heavier, lacks all the denser, air. less yeah. air. Well, and so that, that to me, and again, we could go on and on about that, but that's, which I'm going to call that, yeah, I'm going to call that the happy accident. Okay, that's that's a wonderful, wonderful thing, but I'm still willing to call that a happy accident. To me, What's a the happy true accident? advantage, meaning the, the lack of air, the yeah. higher density, I'm okay. going to call that the happy accident. Because I think what really gets misunderstood and miscommunicated is putting polymers in the mixes is, I don't know how else to describe it. It's like It's like putting poison in your coffee, right? And then... Once you get sick drinking that coffee, trying to figure out, I, I, I don't know why, why did that happen? Well, it probably happened because you put poison in your coffee. And polymer in the mixes, the direct problem all of us have continued to fight by putting those polymers in the mixes is our sealers. I don't, and again, I don't care which sealer. It doesn't matter because that, as I'm saying, one of them, one of the guys was like, well, you know, so-and-so was telling me that really the only reason why, you know, it was taken out of the Kodiak material is so that it was a more of a benefit to ICT. And I guess technically that's right. I could not, you know, I couldn't like bow my head and go, oh, that's a lie. No, that's true. And I said, but let me tell you the other benefit. It works better with all sealers. I don't care. Your, your 2K product. And he's like, what? And I'm like, oh, Absolutely. Now, I'm going to digress. Why do so many people, and I asked him this because he knows some of them, have perfectly good results using something like cementol? And again, without no additions, no, they're just cementol. And he goes, oh, I didn't think about it that way. And, and I'll digress even further as, as we started this. We'll go all the way back to the time when most of us were doing casting, again, with no polymer mixes and sealers was just a choice and maybe you chose it based on its gloss or its application technique or whatever the case may be. We started bringing in polymers and then that created this huge hamster wheel of which polymer to move around. He's like, you know, you're right. So yes, does pulling the polymer make it more conducive to ICT? Absolutely. Does it make it more conducive to whatever sealer choice you want based on gloss and application technique? Absolutely. So the misinformation that keeps being pushed is that putting polymers in thin cast has nothing but positive results. Positive, positive, like makes it stronger, makes it clearly, yeah, they'll overlook the whole air issue, this and that. 
But that's, to me, the end result is, if you A, if you're using a 2K product, 2K meaning a two-part, an A and a B, ultimately, whatever that product is, water or solvent-based, is the moisture in the concrete is going to slow the cure, which can mean a couple things. Number one, all the isothionates not crossing, linking properly. So what can happen is you'll get whiting issues as much as six months to even a couple years down the road. People set a wet glass on there and you're thinking, wow, this has been in here for two years without a problem. Why am I getting all these white rings all of a sudden? Well, because <laughs> the, the sealer never actually cured properly and it has as much to do with the amount of polymer that was put in the mix to begin with. And you were recommended it, put it in to make it, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. And hence the only way is so that you can pull things in 24 hours. And I don't know how to you keep saying me it. Up. Well, you're going to crack me up. But a guy on such a, it's just such a crack of crap. Yeah. On Facebook, this, there was a discussion about um, clamping the countertops to a rack the day before you do an install in is there any potential issue with the sealer if you leave the clamps on overnight? And I responded, you know, there could be, and I prefer not to. I mean, I've had that exact situation where I was going to deliver a piece and I loaded it up the day before and I don't want to leave the clamps overnight because there could darken underneath the clamps. But more importantly, if you're using a topical, you get delamination. But a person said, I let it wait a week. For me, that's fully cured. And I just laughed because it's not fully cured in a week and it might not be fully cured in a year, depending on what technology was used as far as sealer goes. Correct. So, you yeah. know, if you just have an arbitrary number in your mind of in a week, my topical sealer is fully cured. It's probably not fully cured. And you can probably still have delamination issues of surfaces. You know, you put blue tape on there and leave it for a week and you go and peel it off. I might just peel that surface right with it. You know, you, you had an analogy a little while back and I thought it was really mm -hmm. good. I, I think it could be better in the sense of, Putting polymer in your mix is like putting poison in your coffee, right? Right. Now, the problem with polymer is it creates foam. And so these companies that sell polymer, a lot of times will sell a defoamer. So essentially, uh, you're, yeah, you're yeah. creating the problem. And then they're like, but, you know, we have a solution. So with your analogy, it'd be like putting poison in your coffee. That's the polymer. Yeah. But before you take a drink, because you know there's a problem, well, let me put an antidote in my coffee, which is the defoamer, right. to help offset the poison. But still, why did you put any of it in your coffee to begin with? Because now you're drinking poison with, yeah. and an antidote at the same time when you didn't even need either one of them. You don't need yeah, to be introducing that into the, is, into the process. Yeah, because as this small industry continues to develop, and you know, I'm just saying it's like everything else. What's old is new again. So we've all, most of us who've been here long enough, we've been there. So it's old. And then we Dude, got onto this the new, UV sealer, the UV. Yeah, right. You know, and so all of us traveled this path of. I mean, I remember I had some designs. Now, don't get me wrong. And I'm stopping myself. There are there legitimate uses for polymer in the district, which you've already said. Absolutely. You know, micro cements and overlays. I mean, I can come up with a whole set, everything from bonding to curing to whatever. There's lots of them, but they're not, meaning these other facets of a concrete industry are not trying to do and create 
what this little niche industry is trying to do. And that is cast things thin, turn them in a reasonable amount of time, you know, get them sealed with whatever sealing technology you prefer, get them installed and, you know, move on to another project and be successful in business. I mean, that's what we are trying to do. Now I'm going to add one more, even in our industry, can I find a legitimate use for a polymer? And I'm going to say yes, but again, it has nothing to do with cu- the, the curing practices. Just cure, just do good curing practices. If you do them right, you've negated your polymer need anyway, so it doesn't make sense to put it in there. Um, you know, number two, sealer. I just covered that. Get the polymer or, or cut it to such a minimum so it doesn't wreak havoc with your sealing technology, but you know, you properly cured, so you're still pulling things at 24 hours. So John, what, what, what do I think? Well, the only true place that I can come up with the reason for adding a polymer would maybe based on an aesthetic, a certain casting technique, a certain surface technique that's created by, you know, changing the rheology of a mix a little bit that a polymer might do. And then when that happens, if that becomes the choice then you, who's ever doing it, you focus still on, pro, in other words, you focus on the techniques to overcome the weakness that you put into it. That's yeah. all. Because you really only put it in there to help you achieve, uh, you know, a certain attribute that putting it in, a, you know, maybe to create a crackling effect or I don't know, whatever. But um, yeah, so I, as I was talking to him, one of the, what I really like about these materials from an upright cast is compared to other ones that I would designed is now I can put mix, I can screed it off my version of screeding that we do in the workshops and, you know, level things out quickly, quickly, quickly. The other mixes, you, you always fought that because they'd be sticky. They'd be gelatinous. I mean, it was a very, it was just so different having all that plastic in your mix. And then, you know, there was no question I had certain curing techniques, which are very similar to what I do now to help me overcome the known weakness that I put in there, which is the polymer. So I don't know, I guess what I'm really trying to get at is again, with a massive grain of salt, take the information that's been giving to all of us about the absolute necessity for polymer in their mix and then start off by questioning if it really is necessary and who is saying it's necessary and why they're saying it's necessary. Well, I heard that Fauci said it was necessary. Yeah, maybe, right? (laughs) Um, Not only do you need polymer, you need need a booster of polymer and then you need a booster for the booster for the booster of polymer. Right. And, and there's no gain everybody of function needs to believe going on with John Schuler as some genius. But then ask yourself, why is there a material out there that I don't know, cast it a quarter inch thick? I don't care. Cure it properly. And, you know, so how are how is this material achieving those kind of successes? But without the use, in other words, being a non polymer mix. Well, because we so, make the impossible possible, John. Right. I guess. Yeah. Yes, that's the short answer. You know, I, I believe funny answer. No, it's the true answer. We make the impossible possible. The, um, I believed, I made a joke about Fauci right there about, you know, Fauci said you have to use polymer, but when I, I believe, I believe in science. 
I believe in science. And when the whole COVID thing kicked off, I remember calling you and I'm like, I'm getting the vaccine. Yep. And you're like, eh, I might wait and see. And I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> dude. I got kids. I'm, you know, I, I don't want to leave my kids without a father. I'm going to go get the vaccine because I'm buying into the, to the rhetoric being spit at us. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I got, I, I was one of the first people, my wife, like got on this like lottery thing. And it, in the County we lived in, like the first batches of vaccines, we were on that first batch. And, uh, we got the second vaccine, like whatever it was six weeks later and actually I had a bad reaction. I remember I called you and told you about it to the yep. first vaccine, but I, I bought into it. And then as time goes on and you start like looking at it you start looking at it from a more, what's the right word? Just a, a, a more broad perspective of like, what's going on? Who's benefiting from this? Who's saying I need right. a, a vaccine? Oh, the vaccine manufacturers are selling vaccines or telling me I need a vaccine. Mm-hmm. What's been done? What testing has been done? Uh, and then you start like question again, just looking at it from the science, you start questioning the whole thing. And, uh, you know, the correlation between that and the polymer is same thing. It's you're told something, you believe it, you buy into it. And I'm not saying it was all untrue. I think Hiram was telling me the truth and I know he was telling me the truth, but he was telling me the truth for a different market segment, not our market segment. The truth can be the truth, but not viable for what we do. It doesn't, it doesn't translate to our business. So I bought into the benefits, not really understanding the downsides for what it is that we do. And for a long time, I just kept putting that poison in the concrete, putting the poison in the concrete and and fighting it. And for anybody, you know, this isn't a Kodiak Pro podcast, but we do talk about Kodiak Pro products. But for anybody that thinks that Kodiak Pro doesn't use polymer because we're anti-polymer, bro, I'm not anti-polymer. If polymer brought benefit to the mix, as John said, John has fast experience with all the different polymers on the market, probably more so than anybody in the concrete industry. He has more knowledge and insight and experience with those polymers. If they brought any benefit to, to our mix and what we do, it would be in the mix. Well, as you remember, and so I'm bringing this up, your first versions of it had had what I would call standard or, you know, fairly decent loadings of polymer. And then my, you know, before I legitimately came on board, you and I had those conversations where I'm like, "Mm, are you sure this is what you want to do, man? And you're like, well, and this is why. And I'm like, "Uh, let me tell you something. What? Let's go this direction. Da 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 da. And you know, and then we saw entire. I guess what I'm saying is, you were still seeing crap. You were seeing still telltale signs of problems. Yeah. Even when you thought you had the solution on board, and it wasn't until I that those things got pulled that all of a sudden like, well, wait a minute. I thought, I thought this was supposed to be solving that and it was creating more problems. And so digressing. Well, hold on because you're absolutely right. So in the early, early, early days of Kodiak pro way back in the day before Kodiak pro was even launched, Mm -hmm. this was way back. I did a project where we did these 2000 breezeway blocks and a very early iteration of the product was an admix, which now is rad mix, but was an admix that I was adding to the mix and it had a polymer in it. Because again, yeah. you believe Fauci says you need five boosters. I believed that polymer was required and I had a polymer in it. And I cast these 2000 blocks. And one of the things, one of the issues with that block design was you had to pour from a side. You couldn't pour from the top of the bottom because there's a key. Uh, there's a male key and a female key. And that had to be in the form and you couldn't pour from the front or the back because they're both visible. So we had to pour from a side. And what would happen is due to the design, 
the air would rise and get caught on one side of the block. So when we had the finished blocks, one side, let's say the left side, was perfect. And the right side was a lunar landscape, right? And there was no way, quote unquote, no way to mitigate that. And I remember when I sent it to the client for approval, she, they conference called me, the architect, the builder, and the client conference called me. And she loved the block, but she said, is there anything we can do to reduce these, these air pockets? And I said, no, no, there's not. Um, you know, and she's like, well, can you fill them? And I told her there's not enough money in the world for me to fill 2,000 blocks on one side of you know, all these different facets and polish it. There's just not enough money in the world. I'm not going to do it. If I had a time machine and I could go back in time and use rad mix as it is today, those blocks would be night and day different as far as surface quality. There would be one one hundredth the amount of air pockets on the surface where the air rises. So there was something I could do. I just didn't know it at the time. At that point in time, my frame of reference of knowledge and experience said, this is as good as it gets. And that's all I knew. And only now with hindsight can I say, no, I could have made those way better, way better just by removing a polymer. Now, there's other things, too, in the mix besides just removing a polymer. But that one thing alone could have dramatically increased the quality of the, the end product. Yeah. Well, and during the days of designing the materials, I was going to say the other legitimate reason, what used to be a legitimate reason, was that enhancement of color. So, I, so for me, to anybody listening... You know, first of all, just wipe the whole like it's a necessity or I can't cast thin items. Just that's just ridiculous, ridiculous. Focus on proper curing techniques. And then from that point on, depending on what mix you're using, if again, using your own scratch mix or whatever the case may be, then I would say the choices of using a polymer would boil down to really only two I can think of. One is based on an aesthetic. So maybe you bring in, but keep it at a minimum, you know, no, no high solids content, bring it into a minimum. And then B, uh, you know, maybe you're working with some pigments or your mix that, you know, constantly looks what, you know, whatever dried out. Now, again, there's much better choices than bringing in a polymer, but like with blue and, and, and then BR products, the reason was, you know, to sell pigment. So if you can get the pigments enhanced, like paint, paint starts on a white background before you put the pigments in, you know, that was the reason for it. But that's not even a necessity anymore. I mean, there's wedding technology and I mean, that makes colors so much more brilliant and, you know, focus on a mix of higher density. That in of itself with proper curing techniques will give you so much we say higher quality, but so much more color vibrancy out of your concrete than the addition of any polymer because, as we keep referring to the poison, you think you're putting the polymer in to enhance the color, but when it lowers the density of your mix, you're, you're created your problem. And now you're actually adding more pigment you know, because mm-hmm. the air is spreading it all out, lowering the density and lowering your color saturation and richness. So again, just get it out of there, get it out. So I guess even, like I said, although I said two, that's the only two, but I still, I'm not going to buy into the polymer based on color anymore when proper curing is, is so much better for achieving your color quality than any polymer. So yeah. 
So where am I going to go with it? I really wish, but it's probably not going to, wherever this information is coming from. And I'm not knocking on anybody, you know, trying to sell a powder polymer or liquid polymer, whatever, whatever. Um, but to frame this, you know, picture into a frame that says, well, you can't cast anything thin unless you have to have a polymer. And then at the same time, they're talking about using, you know, decent curing techniques, which is actually invalidating. Or like I said, or then using information, hey, look, look at the strength you probably achieved by adding it. Like, I'm not even knocking that. <laughs> I don't buy into the bias based on that because of, you know, like I said, it gained the characteristic of the concrete. But the biggest part of that that's completely gleaned over is what it does to whichever sealing technology choice a person goes with. And I don't know if that, I mean, I'm hoping it's not done on purpose, but it leaves people in a position to still, do I need solvent base? Is it water base? Is it, you know, this product or that product? Oh, hey, how come this didn't work? And, and which costs your business time, costs your business you know, customer satisfaction, it costs you your own sanity. Uh, it's, it's really ridiculous. And you can solve so much of that by just getting that junk or at the very least cut it to an absolute minimum where a person might find their happy place. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we flogged that horse thoroughly. Oh no, it'll come up again. Trust me. Yeah, but this particular horse seems like it's very well dead at this point. Yeah, today. You know, another question that popped up that was interesting was, and this was on the concrete countertop sinks and tile page, I believe, was somebody asking about properly curing epoxy resin when you're building a mold. And he was told by an old timer that used to work in the industry that you had to put wax on the final coat Otherwise, it wouldn't cure. And this is for epoxy, not for polyester. And so the person asked this on our on our page. Maybe it was the Kodiak Pro page. I can't remember which one it was. But asked it on the page. And my experience with epoxy, so I've experienced with epoxy and polyester. And I prefer polyester resin, personally, over epoxy, mainly due to speed and my ability yeah, to build time. up um, a lot of thickness in a much shorter amount of time versus epoxy, which is much slower. But the way I always understood epoxy was epoxy did not require any type of surfacing agent or a facing agent or a wax because the chemistry of the two-part epoxy is it catalyzes and, and cures um, without any need for that. So that was my response. And then a lot of other people chimed in and said, yeah, no, you know, I've been using epoxy for whatever, 20 years. And no, you don't need to use any type of final wax or paraffin material on top of the surface to cure it. Now, if you're using polyester, you do need those. So if you use a polyester resin, and this is something we do in our classes, we use a surfboard resin, which is polyester. The reason we use surfboard resin is it's more flexible than a general purpose. It has some flex to it, which is beneficial for a mold where you're going to be torquing and twisting it and pulling on it. With polyester resin, on the very final coat, you do add a surfacing agent, which essentially is a wax that rises to the surface and seals the surface and lets it fully cure void of air. And that is important to do. So that was a question that popped up. It was interesting. Now, what I want to hit with this is the materials you use. So epoxies, which is something, again, we've discussed previously, but I want to discuss again, is if you use an epoxy, 
there's different manufacturers out there, and you can go down to any marine supply store and get West Systems. That's very, very readily available. Anywhere in the United States, you'll find West Systems. And a lot of times they'll sell the dispenser. It's a pump dispenser that will, you know, it's calibrated properly. So you do one pump of this, one pump of that. And it's, it's dispersing A and B at the proper ratios. So West Systems is common. There's System 3, which is uh, very common as well. And System 3 is preferred by a lot of professionals that I know. They, they like System 3 the best. And then there's other resins sold by SmoothOn, sold by Polytech, sold by other companies. What I'd say is my experience with these resins is either West or System 3 are the ones that have not given me any issues. The SmoothOn resin that I use, we used it at a class at your place. We cast mm-hmm. against it, so we, we used epoxy resin to build a form. We did a birch plywood form and then coated it with epoxy resin and then cast against it. And it was white concrete, and initially it came out beautiful. It was perfect, like as far as colors, nice and white. And, you know, we, uh, we put it outside. And over time, it turned yellow any place yeah. that it was in contact with the resin. So part of the mold was melamine. So the bench section, the top of the bench was all melamine, but the sides, which are like these faceted angles, were the, the plywood coated in resin. The faceted angle sections all turned yellow over time. And that obviously, I mean, it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. It's any place that had contact with the resin is what, what did that. So I've never had that issue with West Systems or System 3. Polytech has sent me resin to test and I still have not tested it because I, I prefer polyester. I don't really use epoxy anymore. Um, so I'll test the Polytech, but anybody out Are there... Are you talking that, about their surfboard resin? I don't know if it's surfboard resin or not. Maybe it is, but they sent me a couple of cans of A and B and said, you know, just test this and see if I you like that's it. that's it. I, I mean, I used that on... I guess it was probably a month and a half ago. I mean, I used that for some fabric forming. I thought it worked great. Okay. Yeah. So there's that. I mean, it, but I would say still, comparatively speaking, it wasn't as fast. So, you know, I lay one up, walk away for an hour or so, come back, lay one up, da, 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 da. And so, you know, it took me easily half a day into the afternoon to finish my fabric forming. But at the end, it sanded out nicely. It was, it was very, very nice. So... So that's, that's the I'm sure it's the same product. I'd have to go look and get in what the numbers are on the containers. Yeah. But it's the one they recommended is their version of a surfboard epoxy. Gotcha. So something to consider. If you're going to use it, Polytech sells a resin that sounds like it's a good resin. You haven't had any issues with it. West Systems, you can find that locally probably. And then System 3, you'll have to order it most likely. But System 3 is one people like. Yeah, polyester, you know, this was an interesting conversation in the last Concrete Heroes Quest we did in Napa with Joe, but Joe had some insights I'd never heard before, but he was saying that polyester resin, although it smells really strong, um, it's actually less toxic than epoxy resin. So epoxy Mm. resin doesn't have the strong odor, so a lot of artisans feel like, oh, it must be safer, it must be less toxic, it must be, you know, better for my health to use epoxy. But he was saying that polyester resin has a very long track record and it was used in uh, World War II with building planes and it's been used ever since. But the health ramifications are much lower than epoxy. It's probably due to the, the isocyanates in epoxy. Well, maybe, but you know what? Gentlemen from the, that era that I've known as people's you know, dads or even grandfathers, it seems awfully weird to me that 
a significant amount of those individuals had leukemia issues in late stages of their life. You're talking I mean, about I the, don't know. the polyester resin? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, these were, they, you know, they, let's say World War II, and then they were a lot of body shops and things like that. That these, In fact, one of them, that was their dad, owned a body shop. And so used a lot of that kind of stuff. And both himself and previous employees, like lifelong employees, were buddies of his. Yeah, they, they all, pretty serious leukemias. Hmm. Now, coincidence? I don't know. Well, and you but can't necessarily you tie it directly to that because they're using xylene. Right. They're using all kinds yeah, of stuff on a daily yeah. basis. And right. probably not wearing respirators, probably not and wearing no, no, gloves. No. Yeah, all that was, right? There was no OSHAs. There was just, yeah. They were just doing their thing. Yeah. But Joe's point, and, you know, again, it's just a conversation Joe had, but I thought it was interesting. Joe's point was don't feel that because epoxy doesn't have the strong odor that it's a safer alternative. That was his point. Right, and I, I, think that, that. I think that's a, a valid point. Now, whenever I do any type of resin, whether it's epoxy or polyester, I wear a full-face respirator. I actually wear a positive air pressure respirator, P-A-P-R, that pushes air through a filter into the mask and kind of inflates the mask. And it's, air is escaping around the edges so nothing can come in. And um, so those, that's used a lot of times in like professional automotive painting or things like that. But for me with a beard, a normal full face respirator doesn't seal 100%. It seals better than nothing. You know, if I'm mixing concrete, a lot of times I'll put on a full face respirator and it's going gonna, it's gonna to probably protect me from 95% of the particulates in the air, but still a little bit's getting through the edges of the mask. And so whenever I'm using chemicals, polyester resin, epoxy, anything like that, then I'm going to use a positive air pressure respirator. And I'm also going to wear the proper gloves. Nitrile gloves don't necessarily stop solvents from going through. And so they actually make gloves specifically for those applications. And I use those when I'm doing a lot of fiberglass work. Well, let's see what I want to add something here. I, add something. I posted a uh, TikTok video the other you day. You did? You posted on TikTok? Yeah, believe it or not. You no, got on TikTok I, or you I, reposted a TikTok? No, no. I just, I don't know. It ended up on my stream somehow. Oh. And I thought you I made a this, TikTok. I'm like, are you doing like a viral no, dance or no. what are you doing? It, that's way too advanced for me. <laughs> 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 I don't even know how to go about that. But it was this guy, they called him uh, Galloway. I don't know if he was a professor or what. But, the, you know, we talk a lot about and we have said that experience matters. And oftentimes, both intending and unintentionally, we bring up for anybody in, in our industry, you know, to question the experience of where information would be coming from and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought it was a great video that I shared out there where this guy was talking about at the college level level to often bring in speakers. And I remember when I was in college, yeah, you'd bring in these speakers. And he always talked about how it's often the, it was the very rich people they brought in who would always finish up with this audience of, of college people, kids, follow your passion, you know, and how he was saying that was utter nonsense and complete bullshit that at the end of the day, find something you're good at or that you think you're good at Put in the time, the sacrifice, and the hours to gain experience, and then you will become passionate. Come passionate. Become passionate. Gosh, if I could talk um, about what you're doing. 
And to me, that really resonated as what guys like us continue to talk about is that, you know, to become passionate, you got to put in the time, you know, you really gain experience and, and continue to excel at what you're doing. And per this podcast, talking about polymers, the really tough thing in any industry, but especially this one, is getting, I'm going to say, you know, tainted information from people that have not gone through that hours of experience and learn to create. They're, they're looking to sell you something. They are doing that, John. Yeah. Which, who isn't? But, um, you know, uh, get out there. I, if it wasn't, I keep going back to polymers. If it wasn't for my, you know, in the face problems. And when I say problems, yes, the air, I uh, still call it a happy accident that you get rid of all that. Uh, beneficial accident. How about that? But sealer performance, application, all these things, all of us have fought for so long and come to find out we were creating our own problem, not solely because of our sealer choice, but because of what we were trying to seal. Yeah. Well, that's a hard, hard lesson to learn. I mean, there's correlations in all of life, you know, you work out and work out and work out, not knowing that the sugar that's in your diet is derailing you the whole time. You right. Know? Because they said fat was bad. Scientists said, oh, the fat is bad, but sugar's okay, yeah. but the fat is bad. You're like, well, oh. I'm eating everything low fat. Yeah. I don't understand it. Yeah, but yeah. I'm, still, I'm still not getting in shape. I don't know what's going on because this one thing over here is derailing everything. And so, yeah, I, I think in time you, uh, you start to question things and, and maybe make improvements. So, hey, uh, we got to wrap this thing up. We've been going for a while, but we should hit the Concrete Heroes Quest coming up in yep. eight days, August 9th through 11th. Go to ConcreteDesignSchool.com. It's a two and a half day workshop with Joe Bates, John Schuler, Brandon Gore. We're going to be doing upright casting, spray GFRC, Ramcrete, which is a rammed earth aesthetic concrete. We're going to do post tension. We're going to make a 13 foot post tension concrete tabletop. We're going to do rammed earth panels cladding panels that are going yep. to be used to clad a bar in Joe's shop. And it's just going to be a really good time. So if you're new to concrete or you're experienced at concrete and you're wanting to expand your offerings or have a much more deep dive into the materials and the use of materials, join us. ConcreteDesignSchool.com, 2.5-day Concrete Heroes Quest, August 9th through 11th, Napa, California. There's still time. I just booked my rental car yesterday and the rates were super low so you still have plenty of time so register today 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 <laughs> well right on buddy cool. all right john well i'm gonna go polish my trophy for being number one concrete mix in the world it's got a little dust on it over there i can see it i need to need to go dust it off real quick well and, send it uh, to me for a minute yeah. <laughs> i just want to hold it see what, yeah it really exists. It exists. It exists. Yes. <laughs> it was delivered by Courier. And uh, yeah, but you know, it's a concrete shop, so some dust here. So I got to go dust it. But uh, super cool. Yeah, it's great talking. And we'll try to get well, one in. See, you said congratulations, but congratulations to you, man. Thanks, man. You know, had you not, you know, traveled this road, which we can talk about all that, which we have in the past, what made you travel this road? Well, when I, mean, I got sick and tired of being well, sick you and tired. Be here. Yeah. Yep. When I got sick and tired of being sick and tired, I got sick and tired of using subpar materials. 
when I got sick and tired of being treated with a crazy level of disrespect from vendors, that was a catalyst. That was a catalyst needed. And yeah. yeah so, so congratulations, Brandon Gore. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up. Sounds good. All right, man. All right, man. Adios, amigo. Talk to you later. Take care.